So we're going to do some cramming. We'll see. Um, we're going to be Psalm 12. It's short. So um, I've been looking for this opportunity for a few weeks to share this with you, and it just hasn't felt right. Um, and um, so today it just seems right. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you. As far as announcements go, before we get started with our study, um, you can also turn to John chapter 14. Um, as well as uh, Psalm 12. We'll be John 14 first. But there's a new newsletter out from uh, Nolan Marie Shockey, who served down, serves down in Juarez as our missionaries down there, school of ministry and pastoral training program. Um, I also serve on the board there, so if you guys would keep me in prayer, I fly out tomorrow. I'll come back Wednesday. I'll be down there spending some time with the guys and having uh, our annual board meeting. So if you can keep my travels in prayer, I'd appreciate it. And uh, the newsletter is on the information counter there below the, the world map. Um, you can figure out, hear what's going on there. Um, the other announcements are today at 1.30. It looks like the weather will be permitting. Um, even if it's snowing a little bit, Martin said that they're still going to go on the uh, bike ride. They'll probably just do tunnel drive if there's a little snow. So don't be discouraged. Dress warm. Um, 1.30, meet here at the church. Um, there will be a short devotion, depending on how cold that is when we're out there. The devotion may be back here uh, over some coffee and some cocoa and some other stuff. So um, it'll be a good time of fellowship as well. So mountain bike ride with On High uh, Ministry today at 1.30. So hopefully you guys can all come. Um, and then our uh, winter camp for our junior high 6th to 8th graders starts February 19th through the 21st. Um, I don't know when the, the cutoff is for that. Curtis is here, so you can ask him as far as sign up for that. We have kids coming from the bridge, and hopefully we can get others coming from our own youth group ministry here. And then, please mark your calendars. I know, I don't think anybody's going to be severely disappointed, but I found out afterwards, because I've not been following sports this year, this season, but February 7th is our church, our annual church directional and dessert meeting. So it's here at the fellowship. Um, I will share with you what God's put on my heart for this next year. Uh, the elders in the church also take an opportunity, a time to address the congregation and talk about um, things that God's put on their heart also and encouragement for this next year. Um, there's exciting things ahead, good news that I'd love to be able to share with you guys then. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, um, so if, you, if you're going to watch, I don't even know who's in the Super Bowl this year. Um, I do know it's not the Seahawks, so probably doesn't matter. <laughs> but Sunday, February 7th at 6.30, so please join us as we look back on 2020 and look forward to 2021. All right. Um, I think that's it as far as announcements go. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into John chapter 14 first. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Um, this time when we can gather together and be encouraged, Lord, by your word, by your promises, the things that you've spoken to us. Lord, you know that each one of us are um, in different places in our lives. And Lord, there are things that we've had victories over and things, Lord, that we've um, struggled with. Lord, things that we've had hope in and things that we've had um, exercised areas of just unbelief as well. And God, just like we read and are we saying that last song, through it all, you're faithful, and it'll be well, and because we know that you're still on the throne, Lord, that we trust in you, Lord, that you're going to finish the good work in us that you've 
uh, begun. You're the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord, um, and you continue to refine us and purify us, Lord. You continue to give us um, strength through the power of your Spirit, Lord, and not according to our own strength. And, and Lord, we know that um, in all of this, God, you have uh, plans of good for us. So, Lord, help us to, to be like, um, to receive that same message that you spoke to to Joshua when he took over leading the children of Israel, to be courageous, to not be afraid, but to be strong. And, um, Lord, um, we want to we live like that as well. Lord, we want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are, and so I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to us this morning in a fresh and new way. Lord, meeting each one of us right where we're at. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in John chapter 14, there's this really, this words of Christ, um, pretty much the whole chapter is the, the words of Christ, and um, at the very beginning of this chapter, Jesus says this to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled, you who believe in God, believe in also in me. And that, that that statement there, that instruction, maybe even a command or an admonition, is so relevant, I think, to my life today and perhaps to your life today, where Jesus says, hey guys, don't let your heart be troubled. You who believe in God, believe also in me. And, and Jesus calls their attention, his disciples' attention to him at this point for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's getting ready to say some things to them that are very important, things to draw their attention to truths and promises that will help them to not have a troubled or a perplexed heart. And think about what's going on up to this point for just a minute. This is um, the, the Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, and um, they had uh, this, that the few days leading up to this time had been pretty awesome. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Jesus had come back and had a, a meal with them. The religious leaders not only wanted to kill Jesus, but they wanted to now kill Lazarus also because he was a living testimony of the power that Jesus possessed. We know that Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem for this last time, it was on the back of a donkey. And, and, and the people rose up together and proclaimed Jesus to be their king. And so from the disciples' point of view, they were riding high. Things were going great. The Romans, who were in charge of the people of Israel and had ruled over them, from their perspective, from the, from the, from the, from the disciples' perspective and from what they believed at this time, they saw Jesus ushering in God's kingdom and defeating their enemies. And so Jesus tells them to go and prepare the upper room for, for, for this last meal with them. And at this last meal that Jesus has with them, contrary, I think, to everything they were hoping for, everything they were thinking would take place, Jesus, not for the first time, but once again reminds them, guys, I'm going to be killed. He tells them that they're going to, that they're going to arrest him. He says that one of them is going to betray them, one of, betray Jesus, one of the 12, right there in their midst was a betrayer, and that he would turn them over to the religious leaders, and that would ultimately end in his death. He told another, Peter, who, who was probably you know, one of the leaders of the 12 you know, within the group, 
And we see Peter always taking this front row um, place in regards to speaking and um, just in regards to the group of the 12 themselves. And, and, and Jesus told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times. One is going to betray me, and you're going to deny me three times. And um, this news was disturbing to them, to say the least. And we know that it was disturbing to them, and it caused them to weaken in their heart because Jesus said to them, let not your heart be troubled. And, and um, he said, you who believe in God also believe in me. Now, the thing that I want to point out to you is that in the rest of this chapter, in John chapter 14, I'm just going to give you a um, cliff note version of it this morning because I really do want to get to Psalm 12. But I think that um, we need in the times that we live in, just like Jesus' disciples did in the midst of the, the things that they were going through at this moment, they needed to be encouraged with some very practical truths, some, some truths that do not change, things for them to focus on um, in light of all that was going on and all that would come to pass because we know that Jesus would be arrested that night. He would be, um, that, that Judas did betray Jesus. Peter would deny Jesus three times, and Jesus would be crucified upon the cross. And, and, and if you talk about a shaking to your faith, watching all of these things come to pass, especially when you didn't think it would come to pass like this, you needed to be encouraged, and Jesus knew they needed to be encouraged. And I think that today, and what's going on in the world around of us, we need to be encouraged with, with, with very practical things that we can do. And in this chapter, there are six you want to take notes, you can real quick. I'm just going to go through them and highlight them for you. But there are six assurances for us to hold on to, to cling to in this time when we face uncertainty and discouragement, when our hearts also are, are troubled. And the first one is in verses 1 through 6. And, and Jesus goes on, and, and he says this in verse 2. He says, in my Father's house, so he said, believe in, believe in me also, right? Let not your heart be troubled. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. And so he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus has this whole long discussion a little bit later on about, you know, going and where he's going. They cannot come. But the assurance is this in verse 3. And if I go, I... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that you, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's the first assurance, guys. Jesus is gone to prepare a place for us. And it's a reminder that this earth, this country, this county, this city, your house that's in it is not your home. You have something, we have something much better. And you're going, well, it won't take much. But yeah, <laughs> we have something much better that's being prepared for us by our Savior. This is the assurance. This is the encouragement. I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and bring you to me. That's great hope in the midst of the things that we see going around us, especially when we, when we feel like the, the things that we do really aren't bringing forth a change that we would like. And our worlds are turned upside down. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Now, we're to be in the world for sure while we're here, but not of it. But we do remember, ultimately, this is not all there is. 
right? That's a good assurance. The second assurance, if you look, follows on in verses 7 through 11. The second assurance is this, and um, there's this discussion that, that goes on with his disciples about knowing him and knowing Father, and, and Philip, of course, is like, well, Jesus, you know, show us who the Father is. And Jesus said, man, guys, I've been with you this whole time, and you still do not know? And, and, and it's this thing, but, but the thing that Jesus spoke to him and said, he said to them in these verses, he said, because you know me, you know the Father. You know God. And this is the second assurance for his disciples and for us this morning too. And it, and it was to tell us, it was to tell them that they knew God the Father right now. And it's more than just knowing him in the sense of we know of God. It's this drawing into this personal relationship with God and where there has been this separation. You know, God created us in the beginning, it says, to have fellowship with him. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait for these things to come to pass. You can now have fellowship with your creator. You can have relationship with him and receive the fullness of his blessing, the fullness of his protection, the fullness of his promises and provision right now. We know him. How? Through Jesus Christ. You guys, we've been brought into this relationship through our faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross and made the way possible for us to be restored back to God. Now, we don't have to wait until we die to go to be with God. We will see him differently than we see him now. We talked about that last week, but right now this great assurance is you have complete access to God. The Bible tells us that we can come to his throne of grace and receive help in our time of need, right? Now. And that's a good assurance. In verses 12 through 15, the third assurance is there, and, 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 and without going into it, Jesus says, Basically that although I'm going away, don't worry. He says, you can still call upon me and whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, I'm going to do for you. And, and, and what, what Jesus was telling his disciples is that you will still have this ability to communicate with me through prayer. And we know that as believers, we've all experienced that where we pray to God through the name of Jesus Christ. We enter into that place. But, but it's more than just talking to God. It's also God talking to us. The privilege of prayer. This is an awesome assurance in this time. And knowing that when we call out to God, not only will he hear us, but he will answer our prayers. The fourth assurance in, in regards to this encouragement is really in verses 16 through 18. If you guys would look there. And, he, and Jesus said, and I will pray. So, so he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Because Jesus said what? I'm going away, right? But he's also saying, I'm not going to leave you alone. God's going to send to you another, another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And then he goes on and says, Jesus assures them in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, and I will come to you. I will come to you. And so the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us. That's the fourth assurance, the assurance of not being left alone while we are here facing these things. We don't do it alone. And even though we have one another, the greater have that we get is the Holy Spirit of God, not only dwelling inside of us, but empowering us and giving us um, strength in, in our time of weakness, giving us discernment in our time of not being able to understand 
And, and it's an awesome assurance. And we know that, that the Holy Spirit came to be in the disciples, and that was fulfilled on the same night that Jesus rose from the grave. He met with them and said, he breathed upon them and said, receive the Spirit. And then we know on the day of Pentecost, even the power of the Holy Spirit then was poured out upon them. We have access to the same thing right now. The Holy Spirit of God living inside us. We're not alone. We're not orphans. That's a great assurance. The fifth assurance is in verses 19 through 24. And, and in these verses, Jesus spoke a, a, a comfort to their troubled hearts. Here specifically in verse 21, where he said, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's a pretty good assurance. You know, sometimes we think that our love of, of, from God for us is conditional. We feel that a lot. I messed up, so God must be mad, with me, mad at me. Or, or you know, it's, it's things aren't going right in the world around me, and so I somehow make this, this judgment upon God that isn't rooted in truth. And Jesus said, simply because you love me, he, says, he said, you will be loved by my Father in verse 21. That's a great assurance. And really what it reminds me of is that God loved all of us way long before we even loved him. And the Bible tells us that when we were still in our sins, still at war against him, he died for us. He loves us. I started off the beginning of this year with many verses, not this year, last year, it's already 2022, 2020. We started off 2020 by giving you guys all kinds of different scripture verses every Sunday morning of how you can know from what the Word of God says in regards to God's love for us. God loves you for no other reason than because you love Jesus and you've entered into this relationship. And the sixth and the final assurance, guys, is really a culmination of, of all of these assurances together, but it's, it's, it's still a gift from God. And I think this is an unutilized gift in our lives over and over and over again where we don't come to this place and receive this gift from, 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 from God. But it's this, and it starts in verse 27, and Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world does, or not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Again, ending as he started, saying, neither let it be afraid. Peace. And the sixth and last assurance that we read about in these final verses is that we've been given a, a supernatural peace, a, a peace that the world does not have for us. And it's the peace of God. The Hebrew word in this passage for the word peace is this all-familiar word, shalom, and it's an important word to the Jewish people because it means more than just the absence of war, more than just the absence of distress. Shalom means wholeness, peace. Shalom means completeness, health, security, and even prosperity in what, what we might think is in a, the very best sense. And so when you are entering in, when, you are, when we are enjoying God's peace, ultimately what there is is joy, and contentment. But God's peace, as I already mentioned, is not like the peace that the world offers. In fact, the world bases its peace on its resources. If you have a full fridge, if you have money in your bank account, gas in your car, a vacation in, you know, looking forward to all of these things, it's, it can be on our resources, it can be on our circumstances, while God's peace, guys, God's peace ultimately is dependent upon relationship. 
And that's what Jesus was reminding them of through this whole thing. Relationship. And to be right with God, guys, means to enjoy the peace of God. Six assurances I wanted to give to you as practical things for us in this time that we find ourselves living in today. Things that are concrete because they're here in the Word of God that we can cling to and let not our hearts be troubled. All right, Bible study one down. Psalm 12. Let's read together and uh, we'll go into today's message. David starts off here as the author of this psalm. The time in which it was written is unknown, but David starts off in verse 1 and says, Help. Help, Lord. Why? For the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy. Now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. And Lord, I, I, I can't help but just see these things that David writes about as so um, real in regards to the times that we're living into. And Lord, I know that ultimately this psalm is about, a, it's a call to action for your people. That when we look around and see things the way that they are, it doesn't mean that they have to remain that way. It doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to you, Lord, to stay the course, to stand. And I pray, God, that you would show us how to do that, that you would encourage us, Lord, as your children to make these stands. Lord, to continue to be the servants that you've called us to be. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the beginning of this psalm, psalm I think it starts off in a very identifiable, identifiable way with that one word there, help. And 50 different times in, in 36 of the psalms, this is a very, um, a word that's used many times. The word help. Sometimes this word help is used in the noun form, and you might think that's word weird because it's usually a, a, a verb that we, we associate it with, but it's in the noun form as in regards to a direct reference to God as the helper, right? As a title, as a name for God in the Psalms. And there are, there are two different Hebrew words that are used in these instances, and, and they are the word eyaluth, which means strength, and the other word, Yeshua, which means Savior and Deliverer. But most of the times, as it is also the case for us, 
Most of the times, this word help is a verb that is used in the verb form by someone who is in need or by someone who is in trouble. And and some of the the variations of this word in the verb form in in, in regards to the Hebrew are the words uh, ezra, which means to comfort or to support. There's also the word shavah, which means to cry aloud. And then there is the word yasha, which is the Hebrew word that David uses here in verse 1, yasha. And it means to save. It means to be saved, to, to be delivered. And so David is calling out to God, asking him to, be, to, be, to save him, to deliver him from things that are going on in his life. And so this cry for David, this cry of David, Um, for God to help, to save, or to deliver him in this time of trouble. It's not an unfamiliar thing, I think, for David to write about in the Psalms. However, within the context of this psalm, we can see that the despair that David felt, which moved him to, to call out to God for help, it's different this time. It's different this time than the other times that we've read about up to now because David was crying out to God for help in previous Psalms in times of danger, right? When his enemies were surrounding him. And, and, and it's different now because what we read here is that David is now calling out to God for help to be delivered as he was lamenting over the fact that the number of godly and faithful men and women, was getting smaller and smaller. Sound familiar? And ultimately, this meant that there were fewer people, fewer and fewer people who would, who would and who were standing up for what was true. Fewer and fewer people, godly people, who were willing to stand up for what is right. And in this psalm, by the things that, that David went on to detail in this psalm, I think we can even see how this cry for him was personal. That he was be affected by these things in a personal way as David felt oppressed and David felt alienated in his stand for what was true and right by those who had been godly or by those who had professed to be godly who were no longer in that place. And so David was grieved because the godly man was ceasing and he was grieved because the faithful man was disappearing but also because those who were once godly and faithful had joined with the ungodly, as he says here specifically, to speak idly, meaning evil things, probably gossip, probably slanderous things, as they looked and did this in order to oppress those who were poor, those who were needy. And when we look back, when we look at, when we look at God's word, in, 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 in light of this psalm, in light of these things that David's writing about, I think we see clearly that David wasn't the only one in the Bible to have ever been concerned or expressed despair over this problem of godly men ceasing and faithful men disappearing. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's this account there with one of the greatest prophets ever, the prophet Elijah. And if you remember, there was a time in Elijah's life in a moment of despair that he cried out to God because he believed that all the other prophets um, of God had either been killed or had, been, or had turned away from God and that he was the only faithful prophet left in the land. 
Furthermore, there was a time when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah had expressed their concern. And not only did they lament over the absence of any righteous leaders in the land, in the nation of Israel, we also hear them grieve throughout their writings because many of the Hebrew people had turned to worship false gods and and to do wicked things, they said, in the sight of God. And I believe it can be very discouraging, a very discouraging thing for us when we look around us today and see these places where godly men and godly women once stood, now occupied by those who do not love God and by those who do not love God's ways. And without a doubt, I think we've seen this come to pass in the classrooms of our schools. We've seen this come to pass in our colleges, behind the benches of our courtrooms, and, and, and even in the offices of our governments, and probably most importantly, even behind the pulpits of our churches today. But sadly, those are just a few of the places, I think, where godly men and women no longer stand. And those who were once faithful to God have disappeared. Now as we study through this psalm, Take note of this, please. As we study through this psalm, we need to see that it is more than just a cry for help. Because I think, think we can often find ourselves in this place where we're crying out for help, and we can enter into this spot where we have this victim mentality where, we're, where we, we believe that there's nothing that can be done. This fatalistic outlook as we look at the circumstances around us. And so this psalm is more than just a cry of help from David for God to save or to deliver him. Rather, this psalm, guys, is primarily an expression of David's confidence in the words of God that assure him that God will deliver those who seek his salvation. Let me, let me repeat that again. This psalm is primarily an expression of David's confidence in the words of God, that give him this assurance that God will deliver those who seek his salvation. Now, the interesting and hopeful thing is that this expression of confidence that came to David while he was in the midst of living in a culture much like our own today, where the weak are being oppressed by the deceptions and the flattering lips of ungodly people, I think this is the exact same confidence and assurance that we can take hold of and share in today. And we too can have confidence, guys, in the words of promise that have been spoken to us by God and have assurance that God will take action in regards to his promises and deliver us from the oppression and the ungodly when we seek his salvation, when we seek his yasha, his help. His help. And even more so now as we see the darkness in and the oppression of our culture rapidly spreading, I think, around us from the decline of godly and faithful men and women. Now, one of the things that I want to point out that I believe that we can further identify with that David was specifically dealing with when he wrote this psalm is the fact that he was not looking, get this, he was not just looking or glancing at the world as a whole in this psalm. He wasn't looking or glancing at the world as a whole when he made this spiritual assessment that that caused him to, to call out to God for help. 
and declare this, this, that the godly man ceases. Rather, we know that he was specifically looking within a smaller, smaller sphere. He says the faithful, right? And what that means is, is it was a sphere that was the nation of Israel. The place that it was probably least expected for this kind of declaration to be made. God's chosen people. And when David looked around at God's chosen people, he said, the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. And sadly, I think a similar comparison can be rightly made when we look at the church today. Those who are supposed to wear the title of the faithful. And the fact of the matter is is that the number of, of godly men and women in the church, including the leaders in the church, I think it's safe to say that it's, it has been and is on a rapid decline. And we know that this decline has been happening ultimately because there's been the forsaking of God's word by the people of God. A forsaking of reading it, a forsaking of studying it, and ultimately a forsaking of obeying God's word. Consequently, we can declare like David that the faithful are disappearing among the sons from among the sons of men. And what does that ultimately mean? It's not like they've died and just were gone. It's not like they vanished. It's that they've, they've become one with the sons of men, with those who are of this world. Not just in the world, but now they are of the world seen to be like them, disappearing from among the sons of men. And consequently, what the result of that is, is is what we see. There's a lack of virtue and a lack of moral influence on our culture and in the society that we live in today. Guys, in, in, in 1 John, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, you can read it. I don't want to read it all to you now, but we know, as John writes there, about what we talked about earlier, about just the indwelling and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. He, John points out that a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit has spiritual discernment. That's us. We have spiritual discernment. We have God's given ability to discern between what is right and wrong, good and evil, a lie and a truth. The ability to detect lies, the ability to detect liars, and then the ability and the power to avoid them because of the Holy Spirit. And in this psalm, David is telling us that he As he discerned, as he looked around, as he discerned the condition of God's people at this time, and in doing so, David came to the conclusion that he was lived in a society that was controlled by deception. He was living in a society that was controlled by deception. And if you look at verse 2, this is exactly what he is referring to in verse 2. So it wasn't that only, it wasn't that it was just a few people who were telling lies within within the the nation of Israel among God's people. On the contrary, um, deception was a major characteristic at this time of the whole generation. And in light of this, I just have to wonder what David might say if he were alive today and could witness the propaganda, the deception, the lies that make up what we so casually call today the media. 
And I suspect he would describe what he would see with the same things that he said about his own generation here in verses 2 and 3. Where David said this, They speak idly, literally with empty and useless words. Sound familiar? How about they speak with flattering lips? And guys, this isn't just to be some kind of condemnation against things that we already know to be true. It is to draw our attention to our response. To have discernment. To exercise the power that God's put inside of us so that we might not be deceived and so that we might take stands in godly places. So flattering lips, meaning smooth or seductive words. They speak proud things, David says, meaning they are boastful in their speech and unashamed of doing these wrong and shameful things. In fact, in verse 4, they say that we're going to prevail with our tongues and our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Proud, boastful, unashamed unashamed in their speech and unashamed in doing these wrong and shameful things. And lastly, David says, they speak from a double heart. Again, let's look at this first within the context of God's people because it's here, it's us first. Judgment begins in the house of God. And when he's talking about a, a, a double-hearted person, literally what he's saying, that if you look to the literal translation, David says they have a heart and a heart. You're like, huh? Two hearts? A heart and a heart which simply means that a double-hearted person will do and say things based upon who they are with, based upon those who they are with. In other words, they are one type of person in public and another type of person behind closed doors. One type of person for the church and another type of person for the unbelieving world. One type of person on Sundays and another type of person for working days. And without a doubt, the double-hearted person, um, Charles Spurgeon said this, writing about the double-hearted person, he said, a man without a heart is a wonder. You guys ever met a person that doesn't have a heart, just cold? Yeah? That's what he's saying. Someone who doesn't have a heart, Charles Spurgeon says, that's a wonder. Something to behold. Maybe not in a good way, right? But he says this, but a man with two hearts is a monster. Think about that. A monster. Now, maybe we could think that David was being a little harsh in his assessment here, but guys, we must remember that David had firsthand experience, right? I think just like we do too, as well, when it comes to, or for David, when it came to those, to the oppression of those who do these kinds of things, David knew well firsthand what it was like. Remember, King Saul had spoken lies about David. David's character and about his allegiance to the nation of Israel in order to deceive his leaders and to deceive the Hebrew people into thinking that David was something that he was not. Furthermore, we know that David's son, Absalom, is one of these guys and that he had used flattery at the city gates to poison the minds of the Hebrew people so that ultimately they would join with him in a rebellion against his own father. And in case you're wondering, this flattery, this, this, this being mentioned here and that we're talking about, the Bible makes it clear that flattery is not a form of communication, okay? It's nothing more than manipulation. 
It's manipulation. And, and at, the, at the root of flattering, at the, at the, at the essence of flattering lips, um, what is going on is, is people are saying simply what they know other people want to hear. That's what flattery is. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28 tells us, says, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. But like I already mentioned, these ungodly attributes are not exclusive to the media. They are not exclusive to the unbelieving people who are in the world, these sons of men who live with us today. Sadly, I think these same kind of attributes are evident in many who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so David, who felt somewhat helpless against these destructive um, chatterers, if you will, he called out to God for help, and he made his appeal here in verse 3 and asked God to cut off the tongue that speaks proud things. However, like I already pointed out, this psalm is, is more about the confidence that David had in God's word to deliver and to save than it is about the oppression of the poor and the needy and even about the decline of the ungodly. And so in verses 5 through 8, David went on and said, For the oppression of the poor and the needy, and the, and the sign of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord, David said, about this, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them from this generation forever. And in these verses we see, we're told, well, ultimately we see this, this, this confidence that David is expressing, this confidence that David has when we're told that God, who is our Yasha, our deliverer, our helper, right, sees the oppression of the weak, he hears the pain in their cries, and he makes a declaration, a response because of the things that he says or that he sees, and he says then that I will arise in order to defend and protect. That promise, guys, is true for us today. God sees, and he declares that he will rise up to defend and protect those who call out and cling to his salvation. Now, this phrase in verse 5, look, I will arise, says the Lord, uh, it should remind us of similar passages that, uh, of the Psalms that we've already read through in Psalm, like Psalm 3, verse 7, and Psalm 7, verse 6, and then once again back in Psalm 9, verse 19, because in those psalms that we've already studied, there's this same kind of phrase used, and it reminds, me, reminds us, I think, of how God is faithful to deliver those who seek his salvation. And, and, and there's this other word here that I want to key in on, and it's in verse 5. It's this word safety. It comes from the same Hebrew word, yah, that is used for the word help at the beginning of this psalm. Back in verse 1, and this Hebrew word yah is a, is a root word, and it's the basis, it's the root basis for the name of Jesus, Yahweh, Yahshua. 
And it literally means that Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is our help. Jehovah is our safety. And David goes on in verses, when he goes on here in verses 6 and 7, we see that he is simply at this point contemplating God's word of promise that was spoken in verse 5. God has said this, and now David's thinking upon it. He's contemplating it. And what David is saying in these verses is that unlike the worthless words of the deceiver who speaks with flattering lips, the words of God are opposite. The words of God are precious like silver that has been heated seven times in the fire before it's poured out into the mold. And guys, this mention of seven is key as it is a reference. We know the, the number seven throughout Scripture, it's, it's a reference to perfection. It's a, it's a reference to completeness. And it illustrates for us, as David makes this contemplation, as reflecting upon the things that God said, it reminds us that God's word is flawless, David is saying. The things that God says and speaks is without flaw. And what does that mean? It means that, it can, that we can completely trust in it. If there's no flaws, no errors, then it should never fail. It should always stand. It can be completely trusted. Furthermore, because David likens God's word here to tried silver or tested silver, refined silver, he points to the fact that God's word is also precious. Precious. And therefore, what David is contemplating and the conclusion that has to be made, because God's word is precious, we should see it as something that is of value, that is valuable. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 119, which is, is a whole narrative on the word of God, in verse 162, it reminds us of the value of God's word, and it says this, I rejoice at your word as one who has found great treasure. Great treasure. Guys, I find it somewhat ironic that society today sees God's word as something that is worthless. Within the church and even without, for sure. They see God's word, the scriptures, as something as worthless, and yet they will pay great sums of money to people who will manufacture deception and flattery. Do you get that? Great sums of money and give great attention to those who will manufacture deception and flattery. May it not be so among us. Where are you spending your time? What is your attention giving to? Guys, nevertheless, we can rest in the fact that no matter how many lies are spoken with proud and flattering lips, God's word is safe. God's word is an anchor for our soul. God's word is a light for our feet. And this is why it is a must for us, those who are faithful, to saturate ourselves with God's Word. To be immersed in it daily. And like I said when we began, this psalm is ultimately a call to action. And verse 8 is where this, this 
we can derive this from. And this very last verse of this psalm needs to be seen as a call of action when we consider, look at it, that we're being told that the wicked strut about and, and evil is being praised throughout the land. The wicked prowl on every side. They strut about. And vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Praised, exalted. What? Vileness, evil, wickedness. And the point is is that we, as God's people, we who are godly and those who remain faithful, guys, we've been called to action when we realize and see this. We're not just to stand by and, 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 and ignore what's going on. We're called to be salt and light. To this dark and dying world. Jesus had instructed his disciples about this very thing in Matthew chapter 5, right? Verses 13 through 16. And as those who are called to be salt, and as those who are called to be light, guys, God desires for us to be in the world and for us to be in the church and to be a witness and a testimony to the compromise and to the corruption in order that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, might restrain, that we might overcome the national and spiritual decay that we see going on around us today. If the worship team wants to come up, I want to end with this thought. Think about it. If there was more light in the land, there would be less what? If we had more salt, there would be less decay. So as God's people worship God, as God's people pray, and as God's people share the good news message of salvation from sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ with those who are still lost, and when that happens, you know what? There'll be more light. There'll be more salt. There will be more people who will trust in Jesus, and there will be this increase of salt and light throughout the land. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this call to action would be a reminder for us that you have something for us to do. Lord, there is something that we can do through your power, through your strength, through your encouragement, Lord. When we look around the world today and see godly men and women, those who were faithful once no longer standing in places where they ought to stand, doing what they ought to do, Lord, being taken over by the lies and the deceptions in the world that we live in that seem to be prevailing all around us today. So I pray, God, that we would rise up as one people, as your church, Lord, and that we would be salt and light, God, that we would stay the course, that we would make the stand, that we would, as we, as we began this morning, Lord, that we would not let our hearts be troubled, Lord, but we would rest in the assurances that are found in your word that have been spoken to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would have strength and courage to go forth today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you guys stand with us?